Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Zakari, and you are listening to Life Altering Events on the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Well, today, the entire world is experiencing a life-altering event together. COVID-19, the coronavirus, has changed everything, just about everything we do personally, professionally, socially, and spiritually. So how are you dealing with the quarantine and the separation and the isolation? Most people that I know are starting to get restless and a little bit bored staying at home. But what if you already have anxiety or depression issues? What if your home life is somewhat dysfunctional? What if you're struggling with the after effects of a trauma, be it physical, mental, or emotional? What if your money's running low and you don't know if and when you're going to be able to go back to work? Today's episode may, be, may very well be the most important interview you hear all year. What we want to talk about and look into today is how this COVID-19 is impacting your mental health. So today we have Dr. Annette Zakari, who is a specialist in brain, traumatic brain injury, trauma, PTSD, isolation, and depression, and Christopher Taylor. Chris is a young man who is recovering from a severe brain injury, who will start his journey, who will share his journey with us and how this quarantine is impacting his life. So, Dr. Zakari and Chris, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Dr. Zakari, let me start with you. As I mentioned, COVID-19 has changed everything in our lives. Uh, we're aware that the physical aspects of the virus, uh, but what is it doing to our mental health as people are facing these quarantines and separations and isolations? Your practice has been uh, getting a lot of calls in this area. What are you seeing? In my work with the clients that I have, unfortunately, most of us have to do teleconferencing or video chat. So we have that distance, which makes it very hard for our clients to not be able to connect with their therapist. But what I have been observing is an exponential increase in fear and anxiety. Uh, there is overwhelming, an overwhelming reaction, I mean a very strong reaction to this um, health crisis. And what I have found specifically is that there is a change in, number one, of people's sleep patterns and um, isolation. There's also problems with uh, when you have a chronic condition. You know, I found that some of my clients are not paying as attention or as vigilant in taking care of themselves, um, physically or mentally. Individuals with mental health concerns who already are dealing with trauma, anxiety, depression, also have a very, very difficult time of managing the coping strategies that they are trying to put in place so that they can continue to deal with the symptoms of these mental health issues. But now we have 
another fear that's on top of it, that additional layer, which can trigger this increase in anxiety and increase in depression and bring on such a visceral reaction that continues to be exacerbated just by the isolation and the social distancing that we have to um, deal with at this point in our society to be able to combat this. It's, it's, it really it, it invokes a lot of distress, a lot of frustration, a lot of irritability, a lot of anger, um, frustration, and also may affect relationships with your family, with your loved ones especially because we often cannot even see some of our loved ones because of the social distancing recommendations. That is probably one of the most difficult times in people's lives is to not be able to connect socially. We are all social um, animals, and when we, we don't have that capability to do so, it, it, it's going to filter out somewhere. Now, Dr. Zakari, I was a medic in the military, and every time we had a major inspection, we would see a spike in domestic violence or domestic abuse. Is that happening here? Yes, there is actually a a spike in a lot of domestic um, hostility, uh, confrontations, and when you're already in a dysfunctional family, as you were mentioning earlier, or if you are living in a very dire situation, it does increase the tension that is already there. It doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. And we are definitely seeing a spike in in domestic violence and hostility in couples and families. And uh, we have been able to, in our practice, really put together some good hotlines for domestic violence hotlines or crisis hotlines for individuals who are finding themselves in um, stressful and traumatic situations, but also in violent situations. And fortunately, many of the services out there are still able to provide that type of service for individuals who are in those dire situations. So we do see an increase in domestic violence, and um, it, it's, a, it's a crisis already in their lives, and it's just increased more by the isolation and the frustration and the financial fears and um, the health care fears, and are we going to be able to get through this, and are we going to be able to deal with our future and and the uncertainties that are there all continue to increase that tension that you feel. And it will definitely impact the people that you care about, but also the people in your family and those who are suffering with dysfunctional families will feel it even more. Dr. Zakari, children have been taken out of their element in their normal routine. Now, as adults, We should be able to rationalize what's going on, but most children don't understand the fear and the anxiety in their home, and more importantly, what's happening. So how are you advising children and parents and primary caregivers during this situation we're in? Well, definitely children and teens have a different reaction to this virus. You know, at this point in their lives for children and teens, their lives are all about their social circle. Their peer group is very, very important and they are so disconnected socially. I am so appreciative of the fact that we do have technology where a lot of these kids and the teens can still speak and and connect with their peers, but also with their grandparents and their other family members where they could do FaceTime and so on. But what I have found, and when I work with parents especially, is that as a parent, you are the best teacher and role model for your children. Your children's moods, 
their feelings, their emotions, and their stress are often set to the tune that you provide them. And it's very, very important for parents to understand that your example is what is going to reassure your children. It's already stressful. It's already difficult, and there's a lot of tension because as parents, you're very, very fearful of this. You're fearful of what, if I get this virus, how is it going to affect me? How do I protect my children? How do I protect my parents who might be elderly? How do you protect people in your lives that you love? But you are the best example for your kids. So if you are able to stay calm, stay confident, talk about it in that manner without fear, your children will find that they are able to reduce their stress. I also recommend for parents to keep the uh, news and the television at a minimum for your kids and to keep the discussion at a minimum in front of your children. When you speak to your children, you want to stay calm. You want to stay confident. When you're speaking with your spouse or anyone else in your family, of course, you know, share the tension and the fears. But one of the things I'm finding is that kids are picking up what's happening on the news and, of course, the news is giving us, you know, the worst-case scenarios because they want to protect us as a society. But it also goes into the ears of these little ones who end up being very, very fearful of going outside and, you know, what's going to happen to mom and is anybody going to die? And these are things that I'm hearing that parents are telling me that their kids are sharing. And uh, one uh, young um, mother had told me that her four-year-old is afraid to go outside in the backyard and play because he's afraid that there's a disease out there that's going to hurt him. Um, Some children are manifesting through nightmares and night terrors. So we want to, as parents, stay as calm as possible, offer creative solutions during the day. Most kids are still in school online or or, um, virtual classrooms. You want to encourage as much structure and routine in their lives or create a new structure and routine until this crisis is beyond them. And then continue to keep them connected with the people in their lives through social media. But definitely... Take care of your physical, emotional, and spiritual self with your children. You know, continue to, if if you belong to a religion, if you belong to a faith community, there are many, many virtual uh, services that you could go on with your kids. Um, You can do different apps that will have yoga classes or meditative classes for you and your children that will help you kind of get to that place of staying calm and collected. But again, my advice to parents is be the example, be the role model you need to be so that your children could also be confident that the world is not a dangerous place and we will be able to get through this. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Zakari. This quarantine and isolation is particularly difficult for people who have experienced a traumatic brain injury or PTSD or something along those lines. This is your specialty. What exactly is a traumatic brain injury, Dr. Zakari? A trauma to the brain basically is, um, well, there's a variety of, of, of different types of injuries to the brain, but traumatic brain injury results in being neurologically compromised. There are multiple types of brain injury. There are closed brain injuries. There are open brain injuries. There are um, brain injuries as a result of cancer or tumor, stroke, aneurysm, or a malformation. All of them could be extremely traumatic. And even a concussion going from mild to moderate could also have extensive residual effects on an individual who's had an injury to the brain. 
but basically a trauma to the brain really results in being compromised in many, many areas and many of the functions of the brain. And that is, can create, you know, some of the, the symptoms that I'm sure we'll get into later and that Chris will definitely share as a part of his experience. Um, but traumatic brain injuries can, can affect a multiple um, behaviors. It could affect a lot of physical um, a, a physical capabilities, and it also can affect everything from emotions to perception, visual perceptions. Um, it could affect how we differentiate size and shapes and how we taste and eat and balance and walking and hearing and talking. The brain is a, a multiple vast territory that we are still learning about, and it, the uh, symptoms are, are multiple with traumatic brain injury. Now, is there is there a test or something that can be done to tell if someone has uh, has brain damage or a traumatic brain injury? Is there anything special that's done? Well, initially, after an injury, um, if, physician, if if a person is admitted to the emergency room, which really, you know, if you've ever had a brain injury, that's something I always recommend is that you go and you get the scans and the MRIs to find out if you actually have an assault to the injury to the brain, because even with a minor uh, brain injury where you don't really lose consciousness, what we find is that a brain can swell within the skull, and that is a closed brain injury. So you may not have like an assault like a gunshot wound, which would be an open injury to the brain, but you would have a closed injury, which then you don't know if there's a bleed, if there's swelling, and a test in a scan could definitely show uh, maybe not um, initially, you know, you still might be conscious and managing, but you do want to be aware. Also, they, there's testing that um, is done as far as the neurological testing that measures whether or not there's any confusion, disorientation, um, lack of concentration, the inability to speak or understand language. Um, you want to really test what a person is capable of doing at the time of the injury. Later on, however... You know, after a patient goes through, you know, the initial acute crisis, especially if it's traumatic, because many times if the brain is trauma, traumatized so uh, viscerally, we then find uh, folks that end up being in the ICU, neurological ICU that are on vents possibly, that are um, having to deal with uh, surgical procedures such as a craniotomy to drain the fluid of the brain, um, then are, you know, induced comas, are in a coma that end up, you know, slowly and hopefully eventually coming into some consciousness and are able to be able to communicate and be able to get back into um, their world. However, at that time, after they go through rehabilitation, there are neuropsychological evaluations that are recommended to really look at the level of functioning or, and impairment or weaknesses that a person is experiencing following, following their injury. So we have a better understanding of what the long-term residual effects may be and then how they could be best treated. Is, it, is an injury like this uh, something that's permanent? Can someone ever recover from it and, and be fu- fully functional again? The interesting thing about brain injury is that they are, they are different. You cannot look at somebody or two people with the same type of injury to the brain and be able to have share the same symptoms. There are a variety of people that I work with who have are, have extreme 
physical and medical difficulties where they're not able to speak. They're paralyzed sometimes from the neck down. Some of them are still on ventilators lifelong and um, are often, you know, use eye gaze programs to be able to communicate because they're not able to speak. That's the most most difficult and and, um, most impacting of the brain injuries. And then you have people on the other side who are more moderate, who are able to function, who are able to potentially go back to work. However, in my experience, there is typically a residual effect when the brain injury is trauma, when it's a traumatic brain injury, in that you will see that you will have to make some changes to your life. You will have to provide accommodations for your life to be able to compensate for the deficits that you have. And there are multiple deficits that you can still experience after the trauma, um, especially emotional deficits, and that's where I come in. I work with people who who are dealing with the emotional impact of their injury and the changes in personality and the changes in um, how they relate to the world and develop strategies that help with those specific symptoms, such as memory, such as organization and planning and anticipation and judgment, attention and concentration, um, maybe even expressive language. Um, Sometimes it also includes that uh, ability to sequence and follow directions and problem solve and socialize again. That's what, those are the areas that I work on because those are the areas of the life, of, of life that, especially in our frontal lobe, which is kind of like the CEO of your brain, deals with. And that is where I see most of the residual effects coming into play. Can people get back 100%? Um, I have not seen people come back to 100%, but I've seen them come very, very close where they are working again or where they go back to school or where they're able to participate in their life and relationships in a positive way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are just about at a break here. This is a a good time to break. We'll come back with Dr. Zakari and and Christopher Taylor. We'll continue to look into the impact that the COVID-19 is having on people with traumatic brain injuries, anxiety, depression issues, and then Chris Taylor is going to share his story with us. You do not want to miss this. We'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. 
Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This will probably be the most important interview you listen to this entire year. We all know what this coronavirus is doing around the world. We understand how physically devastating it can be. We also understand that quarantine and isolation and separation is important to physical health. But what is it doing to your mental health? And we have an expert on the show, Dr. Ned Zakari, who spent most of the first segment explaining the mental health portion of what's going on here. We're going to continue with Dr. Zakari, and then we're going to bring in Chris Taylor, a young man who has suffered from a traumatic brain injury, and see how this, the impact on his life has been as he tried his recovery, and then what this uh, virus quarantine, isolation, separation, how it's impacting his recovery. So let's continue on. Dr. Zakari, we had talked about a traumatic brain injury, depression, isolation, etc. They're called invisible diseases because they're not always present. You can't always see it. It's not apparent. People, many people are very cruel and insensitive to someone who looks or acts different, particularly during a time of crisis. So how are you counseling your patients in this area, particularly at this time? Well, unfortunately, you know, individuals with traumatic brain injury have so many parts of their lives affected already by the trauma. Um, traumatic brain injury affects folks physically, emotionally, cognitively, and spiritually. One of the things that we find um, that people struggle with is adapting back into their own environment again and being able to live with the residual effects of the symptoms. When you say they are invisible, early on in my career when I was working with individuals with brain injuries over about 30, 40 years ago now, we did not have a diagnostic category of brain injury and people were often lost in the shuffle. And when you would see that there were some odd changes in behavior or they reacted differently or they were impulsive or inappropriate verbally, uh, we often treated them as if they had a psychiatric problem, bipolar disorder, mood swings, lack of mental flexibility or difficulty with emotional regulation. In fact, what they were dealing with is the organic nature of the brain injury. So when we say that somebody has an injury, but they absolutely look like the average person out there, but they don't act like it, we used to call them the walking wounded because they looked like they were supposed to look, they seemed to act like they were supposed to act, but when they were overwhelmed or in an environment that was overstimulating or in stressful situations, you would see 
excessive change in behavior where they might be much more emotional, they might see more anger, more frustration, more um, inability to cope and problem solve and regulate their emotions and distress levels. With this virus, the COVID-19 virus, you're seeing, I'm seeing in some, a lot of my brain injury patients some excessive amounts of behavioral changes and also emotional reactions. They're isolated. They are lost their structure and routine that we've put together. Some of the things that I've worked with on developing strategies of coping have break down. But one of the things that I'm always reviewing with my clients is some good behavior management guidelines, which would be you might add with children, as I said with the kids, children, that you want to start changing the structure and routine of your day, especially because you're isolated. You may want to increase some of the rest time because survivors of brain injury really need to have that kind of rest when they are feeling overwhelmed. And what I mean by rest doesn't necessarily mean a nap time. It just means quiet space, getting away, not listening to the news, and not being overly stimulated. You also want to keep the environment very simple. You don't want to, again, overstimulate the surroundings because somebody with a brain injury also struggles with being able to filter out those external stimuli, and that could lead to some increased chances of a behavioral episode. You want to keep your instructions uh, simple. So if you are living with somebody with a brain injury, you often want to use instructions and prompts that could help cue a memory or help cue getting them back on track or prompting them to get into a quiet space because many survivors of brain injury also have difficulty processing, especially auditory information. So sometimes we try to use, you know, uh, different techniques to communicate in a way that such as modeling or gesturing or cueing, just to help someone to get to that calming space, especially when they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, I always encourage to get feedback. You know, people with traumatic brain injury often have diminished self-monitoring skills, and they often rely on the people in their lives to provide feedback um, of how they are behaving, what they're doing, positive feedback for their successes. You know, when they are responding well, giving them supportive encouragement. And to keep on setting goals together and stay calm and be really confident in your communications with your loved one who has a brain injury. And um, I also look at, you know, the varying activities. You know, in this isolation right now, you have to look at that toolbox. And I always tell my clients, let's develop a toolbox that you could draw upon that could help utilize some of the um, necessary tasks to keep someone calm, especially after brain injury. One of the things I also look at is, again, decrease the amount of time that you're looking at the news. I'm not saying turn off the television or the radio permanently, but you want to keep that at a minimum because it does, again, create that overwhelming stimulation that creates frustration and irritability and, and distress. For somebody with a brain injury, they're already dealing with a lot of distress in their lives and anxiety in their lives. And they're getting, if they're working their program well, they are doing a really good job of compensatory strategies to cope. You don't want to over-exaggerate um, some of the fears that they're having that will then create to these distortions of thought and confusion and, and fears. Um, so we want to try to keep the environment, again, as stress-free as possible. 
and um, you know talking openly about the the uh, COVID nineteen crisis, but also let folks know that you know we're going to get through this and we're in this together and and we're going to work together and. One last thing and one last thought I want to share are the family members also need a lot of support because if you're assisting or a caregiver for somebody with a chronic condition or in the life of somebody with a traumatic brain injury, you also have to make sure that you take care of you because caregivers suffer and often have those mirror symptoms that you will see in somebody with a brain injury, which would be depression, anxiety, um, frustration, irritability, and uh you know, just feeling overwhelming distress of how do I, you know, begin to cope. And when somebody with a brain injury is is overwhelmed and overly stimulated or angry, how do I suspend my own emotions of feeling hurt or upset to be able to provide the services and the or the care and uh, and stress management that I need to? What I tell families in that situation is, as much as you can, is to suspend those emotions in order to be useful and helpful and recognize that these are symptoms of brain injury. This is not somebody who loves you trying to hurt you or jeopardize the relationship in any way. It is a symptom of brain injury, and I liken it to somebody who's sitting in a wheelchair who had a spinal cord injury, for example. You need to make accommodations such as ramps and to get into your home. This is accommodation. These stress management techniques are accommodations for people with brain injury, and those accommodations are not as and are so much more important with the social isolation that we have and having to redefine our lives and and restructure our lives and routine. They are much more paramount in the lives of the families and the and the individuals with brain injuries that I work with. Dr. Zakari, thank you for all your insight and advice here. We want to pivot now to our second guest, who is Christopher Taylor. Now, Christopher sustained a traumatic brain injury. Uh, Chris, share your story as much as you're willing to with the, with the listeners. What happened? Well, first off, I would like to thank Dr. Zakari for explaining me to me just a little bit. Uh, it's, you know, this is an ongoing issue. Um, and, her insights have definitely made it a little more understandable for me. Um, uh, my story is basically, uh, I was a gunsmith. Uh, I did that for a little over 10 years. I was a gunsmith and uh, precision machinist. Uh, I went to school for a couple of years and then worked in the field for about nine years and then decided uh, on a midlife career change and decided I wanted to become an electrician. Um, I did that for about nine months uh, when I had my accident, my life-altering event. Um, I was working on a job site and there was an accident and I sustained a traumatic brain injury. Um, now, when we spoke, you mentioned that, as Dr. Zakari mentioned, there was there's moderate, severe, et cetera. What were you diagnosed with, Chris? Uh, I was actually diagnosed with a moderately severe traumatic brain injury. Um, not as bad as a lot of people get, but worse than others. Um, and because it was moderately severe, uh, I have been dealing with 
most of these symptoms that Dr. Zakaria was talking about. Uh, some mental issues, emotional, uh, physical, absolutely. Um, so it's, um, I have been dealing with um, my ongoing diagnosis is in the medical field apparently called intractable disequilibrium. Uh, I have trouble walking. Um, no, it's, you know, I am, as an ongoing physical therapy, I have, I use a cane occasionally, but it's, um, I have trouble walking. I look, honestly, I look like I'm drunk. Um, so that is the my one of my major ongoing issues. Um, I still have uh, as a good example here. Uh, I have trouble word finding uh, when I'm trying to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes have trouble keeping a sentence going. Um, so it's, uh, and, you know, there are emotional and psychological issues that are ongoing. Um, because I have trouble walking sometimes, um, I, I think I mentioned, um, I really want to have some T-shirts made that say, I'm not drunk, I have a head injury, <laughs> uh, because... Um, you know, as Dr. Zakari was saying, uh, with lots of external stimuli, uh, especially visual stimulation in my particular instance, um, even going to the grocery store can become a major trial. Chris, when you were injured, were you hospitalized? Yeah. And, and how long were you in the hospital? Uh, I was actually not hospitalized um, I, my injury happened um, I um, realized what had happened so basically to tie this back a little bit to COVID-19 I went home um, so I was not actually hospitalized uh, but I went to the emergency room uh, two or three times, and I have had, uh, at this point, four or five MRIs as well as x-rays to make sure that there was not any, um, at the time, damages. You know, make sure that um, there was not a brain bleed um, or things like that. Um, and all of those came back clear, but um, after seeing a couple of neurologists, uh, I have, uh, they determined that I have ongoing uh, symptomatic, but not necessarily demonstrable uh, uh, neurological problems. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, uh, with with the issue with balance and dizziness, obviously you the construction work and the electrician work was pretty well over. 
and you had yeah. to have yet another uh, life change. What are you What are you doing now, or what did you do at the when you realized I can't do this electrician? I can't be a, a machinist anymore. Uh, honestly, during the early days of my recovery, uh, I started studying uh, computer coding and programming, uh, mainly just to keep my brain busy, just to try to. Um, as one of my neurologists called it, cognitive therapy. Um, and then once it became evident that uh, I was going to have ongoing balance issues, uh, I started doing a deeper dive into coding and computer programming uh, because I, with my ongoing issues, uh, I can't stand on ladders. I can't stand on scaffolding, things like that. So... Yeah, that would pretty much rule out the construction industry. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, um, but yeah, I started studying uh, computer programming and realized that, A, I kind of like it, and B, I seem to be halfway decent at it. So uh, that, that kind of worked out. That's excellent. As you, as you make a change like that, Chris, uh, particularly going from something where you were using your hands in, in physical work to using more um, logic and thinking with uh, as a computer programmer. How was that in the beginning? How, how difficult was that? Uh, that was very difficult. Uh, I, there were many days of uh, anxiety and, you know, uh, emotional problems. I mean, there, there were days where I quite literally broke down crying trying to learn computer programming because it just did not click um, with my, at the time, my ongoing brain injury. There was just not, it didn't make sense to me. Um, so, yeah, there there were days where I broke down crying in, you know, just Almost gave up, but, uh, you know, taking a couple of minutes to, or half a day or a day and stopping and relaxing and then coming back to it, that was a major, major uh, milestone for me. You know, now, Chris. A, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, in addition to... Uh, trying to learn a new trade in computer programming, I'm sure there were a lot of physical therapy and vision therapy sessions every week. How did you balance all this? Uh, with great difficulty, honestly. Um, yeah, it was. I was doing physical therapy twice a week, uh, trying to deal with the balance issues, and I was doing... Uh, visual therapy and vision therapy because uh, part of the ongoing problem after my TBI uh, is my eyes don't work properly. So it was, you know, uh, physical therapy twice a week and vision therapy once a week, uh, all of which were not necessarily close to my home. So it was, you know, for a 
for my vision therapy specifically, um, it was an hour and a half drive, an hour's worth of therapy, and then an hour and a half drive home. And then I would start working on my programming education. Wow. That's amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against another break here. We're going to continue uh, with Chris Taylor and, and his story, what his support group was like and where he is in his point in his journey at this point. We'll also get some more feedback from Dr. Zakari. Do not go away. This last session is the best yet. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Sakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have had two absolutely fabulous segments here with Dr. Annette Zakari and Christopher Taylor. Dr. Zakari is an expert and specialist, almost 40 years in traumatic brain injury, dealing with trauma, dealing with isolation and depression. Chris Taylor is a young man who has actually suffered from a traumatic brain injury. And as we've gone through now into this COVID-19, everything's up in the air again. And all the process, progress and, and that was has been made has to be reevaluated again and start moving forward another time. So Chris had just explained what he went through at the time of the injury, had to change careers, 
learn a whole new career plus physical therapy plus vision therapy and the challenges that he faced during all of this. Now, Chris, let's continue. What was your support group like at the time of the injury and how has it evolved over time? Honestly, the support group has stayed mostly the same. Um, I have my most excellent girlfriend who has been by my side for the entire time, um, as well as friends and my roommates have been very understanding of everything that has happened, um, as well as family. Um, you know, they have been there when I have had troubles. That is critical. We and, and, and my family, our family, we experienced a, um, a major traumatic event. My youngest brother was paralyzed in a car accident. And that support group is absolutely critical. And particularly as we're going through a crisis of being more isolated and, and, uh, and separated, that group becomes even, even more critical. Are you finding that to be absolutely. the case, Chris? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's with the current um, social distancing lockdowns, um, my roommates have decided to self-isolate. Uh, so I am... Um, isolating with my girlfriend, but, um, yes, uh, I make sure I try to at least once a week call various friends and family members and at least touch base just so everybody knows that there are other people that care. That's outstanding. Uh, Chris, where are you on your journey right now? Um, I am, humorously, uh, it is almost three years to the day of my accident. Um, so I have been through uh, about two and a half years of various therapy sessions. Um, the um, It was determined that I am about as good as I'm going to get at this point. Um, I currently have about a 15% disability uh, due to the, quote, intractable disequilibrium. Um, So I am not ever looking forward to getting any better than I am right now, which is not horrible because I'm not as bad as a lot of people could be. And how is the the new career going? I understand you got a new job recently. How's that working? Uh, Pretty well. Uh, Luckily, my mental state has recovered enough that I can do my new job. Uh, I am currently an intern doing uh, fairly detailed work for a local company. Um, so luck, I am remarkably lucky that I, I have gotten as back as much as I have. That's just great news, Chris. As Dr. Zakari had mentioned, uh, and I, when you and I have spoken, you also said this, this, this invisible injury, this invisible disability. As yes. you have progressed, um, through, through your, your uh, therapy, therapy, 
Tell us what that experience has been like. Uh, honestly, it's been pretty rough um, because, yes, most head injuries I consider invisible injuries uh, because there are no external signs for people that don't know. Um, going to the grocery store, going to Walmart. Um, it's, um, there are, there is no real external sign that yes, I have a disability. Um, so it's, um, makes it very hard sometimes to honestly go out of the house. Um, just because it's hard, I don't think that other people understand what I'm going through. Uh, so when I'm in the grocery store and I'm walking down an aisle, um, as I'm weaving back and forth and steadying myself on the, you know, on the shelves, um, people don't quite understand what I'm going through. And I'm sure they 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 back away or they sense the, a sense of fear that they also are experiencing that has an impact on you also. Is that right? Uh, just a little bit. Um, I, you know, from my perception, and this is obviously just my understanding, uh, because of my balance issues, um, you know, I honestly feel judged a lot of times that, oh, that guy is weaving down the aisle while shopping for soup. Um, it's, you know, I feel judged that I am um, intoxicated or under the influence or something like that. When, no, I'm really not. I have a brain injury. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it makes me personally feel um, I just don't want to go out as often just because I don't like feeling judged. I understand. I understand. Dr. Zakari, elaborate on that feeling of, of judgment by people who suffer with anxiety and depression or brain injuries. How common is this? Uh, well, it's very common because with brain injury and a lot of the manifestations emotionally, it becomes behavioral. So people are going to act differently. They might not act within the norm. Um, they, as Chris is talking about, you know, just having somebody look at this balance issue that he has as, as being drunk or, um, you know, unsteady or dangerous. And uh, people with brain injury, I, I always say people first. They are a person with a brain injury um, and a person with anxiety or a person with depression. They're people first. And the fact that they act differently or behave differently or react differently needs to be understood, hopefully by the general public more and more as we continue to define the new normal in people's lives following their injury. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of the clients I work with have talked about feeling uncomfortable with themselves and feeling that they are being judged or looked at differently. And what I try to do is help people redefine themselves to 
love the person that they are and that they are becoming and to know that there is always an opportunity to educate. So when you do feel that you're being judged, it's an opportunity to educate the public. Uh, yes, as Chris was saying, yes, I, I am not drunk. I have a brain injury. Um, and also to um, let people know that this is an opportunity for you to understand how to treat people again. You know, just because somebody is speaking slowly or is, is confused or is having trouble um, finding the words that they need to say, it's to learn to be patient and understanding and, and um, giving and being courteous. And that's something that you know, people with brain injury often run into, and it's extremely frustrating. But what I try to do is teach you how to be resilient and how to love the person that you are and the one, the one person that you are becoming. We have about two minutes left. Chris, what message do you, would you like to give the people suffering from your type of an injury very quickly? Uh, very quickly, you are not broken. You are awesome. You have an injury... It occasionally is very unpleasant, but it can get better. Dr. Zakari, what last word do you have? I'd like to just echo what uh, Chris is saying, because in my years of experience and working with people, sometimes over 20 years and keeping in touch, is that there is always an opportunity for healing and recovery, always. And don't forget that life could still have be fun, and you don't ever forget that you could have a sense of humor. That's excellent. Thank you both, as Dr. Zakari and Chris Taylor, for being on with us today and sharing your experiences. Now, as I mentioned, we're just about out of time. Once again, thank you to Dr. Annette Zakari and Christopher Taylor as they went into it, brain injuries and the impact, particularly with people with a brain injury or anxiety or depression during this COVID-19 isolation, quarantine, etc. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, please do three things. Look up get up, never ever give up. Better times and better people will come into your life. Now, if you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can pick them up on demand on any number of stations that you like for pick up your, your uh, blogs or radio shows, including now uh, iHeartRadio, Alexa, and Google, which have recently picked up the show. Now, let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Dr. Zakari and Chris showed you where a lot of those rocks are. Stay safe, take care of yourself, and join me again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning into Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cup.